Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Is God in charge when you're beaten and sold into slavery? What about when you're unjustly imprisoned for years? How about when a severe famine occurs? Founding pastor Randy Pope continues the series, Joseph, God's Prevailing Goodness, with this sermon entitled, Is God Sovereign?, which covers Genesis chapters 45 to 50. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I was uh, so appreciative when a few months ago Jeff asked, uh, could I preach on this particular day? And I said that would be great and accepted that. Well, it was only this week that I put two and two together. And I said, this is the week we lose an hour. Every, <laughs> every pastor knows you do not want to preach that Sunday. The crowds are smaller because of the change of hour. People that do come are sleepy and they can't pay attention. And so you just hand it off to whoever. Well, I'm the whoever. <laughs> and uh, it made me think of the parable of the, the, uh, the shrewd manager. Um, <laughs> And I have to say, Jeff is one deceptive genius. So I, (laughs) but uh, but actually, I'm going to forgive you, Jeff. I'm going to forgive you. And um, the reason that I'm going to forgive you is because you've done such a great job here. I can't really hold that against you. So thank you, and uh, for all of us. Yeah. All right. So I get to. uh, I get to pick up where the text has left off, if you've been in this series, uh, through the life of Genesis, uh, and Genesis, particularly of Joseph, and uh, a great series in the last five chapters, which was not another gracious thing he did, give me five chapters. You ever try to preach on five chapters? And, uh, not easy. But anyway, they've done it, we've done it, and so I said, sure, let's, let's do that. Well, it just happens to be these chapters are incredibly beautiful chapters because they introduce us, not introduce us, but they give us great insight into the sovereignty of our God. Now, here's my question. Do you believe God is sovereign? What does it mean when you think he's sovereign? Here'd be the better question. Do you believe he's absolutely sovereign? In fact, if not absolutely, he is not sovereign. So it's asking one and the same question. Is he a sovereign God or is he not? This is going to be a a very good message for all of us. I'm not saying that I'm going to deliver in a good way the message, but the message itself, outstanding message. Every one of us need it more than we realize And I know that because I realized even this week again how much I need it. Because in the middle of the week, I was preparing for a meeting to to start in an hour, not long, till that meeting would be taking place. I was ready to leave. And I had just come back from this summer, or this winter, from a four-week regular time, I go away and do some writing and study and so forth. I've been focusing on writing recently, some resources and so forth. And I've been working probably five years on a book. And many of you know I don't use a computer. I, uh, I write with pencil. And nothing's backed up. 
And I have about 300 pages that I'm now ready to take, to have copied, and then so we as an editing team would be getting together to work on some final edits. So I placed them in a, in a cloth, little uh, hand-held bag, and then I took my tumbler for my water. It happened to be this one right here. And my wife uh, had taken it the night before and had, had cleansed it. The reason that I, I use this one when I travel or when I walk and go somewhere is it has a, a seal-proof top. And I don't ever open up a little flip thing you can do on the top of it here. I, I just open it up and use it and then put the top back on. And she had washed it and left it laying upside down, the top. So I filled it with water in the dark of the evening, getting ready for the next morning. I tightened it on there and put it on the, on the counter there where when I get ready to leave, I can. So I take my bag, which I always do, whatever bag I'm carrying, if I have something like that, and I will just lay this in the bag. Well, little did I realize that Carol, my wife, had left this open, and you would never see it unless you just looked at it. I didn't know that. And so when I laid it down, little did I know that 20 ounces of water was pouring all over those pages with pencil. And I'm walking out, and Carol says, you've got a trail of water following you. And we looked in the bag, and this was empty, and all of it had gone through the pages. Now, wet, put water on something and let it be fully wet like that. Look at pencil and you can't tell the difference between where the pencil was and where the water is. It was done. And as far as I could tell, they were never be used again. 300 or so pages. And this is representing years of work I've been doing. At that minute, I thank God truly that I was in the middle of preparing a message on the sovereignty of God. <laughs> I mean it. Because I know what would be my first thought and my first reaction were I not thinking about the truth that I was so absorbed in, the sovereignty of our God. If God is sovereign, I'm going to react one way. If I don't believe he's sovereign, it's going to be a totally different reaction. So let's make sure we understand what we mean when I'm talking about sovereignty. Sovereignty is the coupling of two things as we think about divine sovereignty. Number one, it's absolute authority and absolute uh, power. You put those two together, you have sovereignty. You take the word absolute away from that, you don't have sovereign. You take away authority, you don't have sovereignty. You take away power, you don't have sovereignty. And let me tell you, we're all confused about it, aren't we? We throw life into that picture of sovereign God, and we go, well, I don't know. How does this? I couldn't do this. And Christians are arguing, and people are divided, and people are thinking, I can't believe you believe that. And it's just a horrible story to be told about where we are so diverse in our thinking about sovereignty. Well, the word absolute means without limit. And so if we're talking about sovereignty, we're not talking about you know, some things, part of things, which things, and so forth. No, we're, we're talking about that which is sovereign. Now, my question, do you believe God is sovereign? Do you really believe he's sovereign? And I'm talking about big things and little things. I'm talking about good things. I'm talking about bad things. I'm talking about man's eternal destiny. 
Is he sovereign over some things? Is he sovereign over all things? What does that mean? It is likely that many, many, many of us have put limits on our belief in sovereignty. And little do we understand the impact that makes on our life. Because now as life happens in its ugliness, in its pain, in its suffering, in its problems, it's going to be one question that's got to be understood. What is sovereignty? If I go through that without God being sovereign and knowing that my God loves me, that he truly loves me, and he's sovereign, then I react one way. If I say, well, I think he loves me. I don't know how sovereign he is. I don't think he has anything to do with this horrible thing that's happening. Then I'm left with absolutely nothing. And so we have to ask, do we believe in sovereignty? Now, I want us to look at it through the lens of Genesis 45 through 50. Now, if you were with us last week, and I hope you were, Jeff gave a wonderful message, and he, he spent a lot of time just summarizing the whole story from about Genesis 36 or 5 or 4 all the way up through what he was teaching. And I'll tell you what, it, it is a very complex story. And I, I know that you that are new won't understand all of the story, but I do take great joy as I give you such a quick flyby that's not even going to be fair for you to quite understand if you've not read it or heard Jeff last week or the weeks before. I'll tell you this, you can go get his message, and I hope you will. But I think about in my discipleship group this last week, we were talking about the text and the subject matter of this message last week with Jeff. And as we were talking about it, one of the guys said, well, you know, I was talking to my wife, and I said, that, that really helped me to, to hear the whole story and how it built up and to get all those details. That was great. He said, uh, man, I just, I wish I, I just can't wait to figure out what happens next. And his wife said, you know, it's in the Bible. You can read it. <laughs> so yeah, I guess so. By the way, folks, you can read this, okay? So read it if you don't know. But here is the, here is the bigger picture. So you see it all very quickly. I'm going to, I'm going to mention this way. There is, there are two redemptive stories being told. And here are the way I like to put it up. There is a greater story, what I call a greater redemptive story. That's God's redemptive plan for man's eternal salvation. The word redemptive has to do with salvation. It's salvation. So there's the greater redemptive story. And then number two, there is the lesser redemptive story. The lesser redemptive story, I don't mean, oh, it's, it's not important. No, it's very, very important. But in comparison to, we might call it the lesser. It's smaller. And that is God's redemptive plan for man's personal relationships. So I'm going to take it under both of those two headings as we get into our chapters 46 through 50. But just for a very, very, very quick, here is the story. Here's a guy that's 17 years old called Joseph. His father is Jacob. Just know that. And a lot of things happen between him being 17 and when we come to where we are today. And here are the main things. There's several, there several people involved. There is brothers. His brothers, they hate him. And he does some things to make them hate him. And they try to kill him. They're going to kill him. And then they end up not killing him, but they put him into slavery. So there he goes. Next thing you know, uh, he's, been, 
He's been purchased by Potiphar, who happens to be an official in Pharaoh's court in Egypt, and he ends up, because the brothers sold him on this caravan, they take him to Egypt, and, and this Potiphar gets him, and then his wife, they have this situation, and if you know the story about Potiphar and his wife, it's horrible, and ends up because of what he did that was correct and right and appropriate, unlike what he'd done with his brothers that made him hate him. Let me tell you, he gets thrown into prison. There he meets these two people, a cupbearer and a baker of Pharaoh himself. He answers a few dreams. The next thing you know, he's, you know, he says, please, 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 when you get out of here, you know, uh, uh, tell Pharaoh you know, about me and what, don't forget me. Well, he did, and next thing you know, he's in prison. He's 30 years old now. I mean, he spent now 13 horrible years of his life. And that's where we're picking up because it is just at that point that actually Pharaoh puts him into great favor because of some things that he did for Pharaoh in interpreting his dream. And when that happens, man, oh man, he loves, he loves this, uh, this man. He's a great friend of his now. Well, you see good now, but all these years. Now, here's the question. What happens then? Now, he is put in charge of all of Egypt. And when that happens, oh, my goodness. His brothers come, and his brothers come, and when they come, it's to get food. Because of the rest of the story, you'll have to hear it somewhere else. But he comes to get food, and they don't recognize that they're standing before their brother, who they were going to kill, but sold into slavery. And he doesn't let them know who he is. They don't know. And now we're coming to our text. And here we're going to pick up again in Genesis 45. And at this point, this is what it reads. Then Joseph, verse 4, said to his brother, Please come closer to me. They came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And then we come to the chapters 46 through 50. And there, because of a, a trick that's played and all this stuff, Jacob and the brother that he loves so much, uh, that uh, uh, Joseph loves so much, his whole brother, Benjamin, they all come to Egypt and so now the whole family is in Egypt. My wife told me something when I finished the first service. She said, you know what's some insight that you, you could have mentioned? She said, in every one of those horrible situations, look through the text. It says, but the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. How can that be? He's a sovereign God. Having said that, let me take you now to chapter 50 verses 18 through 21. I'm going to read it again, though it's already been read. Then his brothers also came, fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Because at this point, he's identified who he is. And at that point, they are scared to death. But their daddy's there. He'll protect them until daddy dies. And now they're afraid that this Joseph's going to retaliate now that dad's not there. And so they're talking to him, and here's what it says. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am I in God's place. And as for you, you meant it for evil. Y'all, you meant it against me. God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. 
So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I know we got a problem. If y'all want to send something to me, that's fine. All right? Now, let's get into the text. Two redemptive stories. The first is the greater redemptive story, and uh, that's from Genesis to Revelation. So you can't just go into the relationship and a little bit of the story and not see the bigger picture. It's, a, it's a, an important redemptive story. It's the greater story. You know where it begins? Genesis 1. You know where the story ends? Revelation, the end of Revelation. I mean, how important is the Word of God? And hear this, folks, you young people, hear this. I'm not talking about the New Testament, which is so important. I'm talking about the Old Testament, which is equally as important. And without the Old Testament, never will you understand the New Testament. It's the Word of God from beginning to end. And so it's a redemptive story that's being told. Lose the front end of that story, you don't understand the story. But here's this great story as it unfolds. And what if there were no conflict between the brothers and Joseph? What happens? Well, there's no conflict. Well, there's no Israel. There's not going to be any of the Israelites in Egypt. If there are no Israelites in Egypt, well, then there's not going to be, there's not going to be any bondage in Egypt that's coming later. No bondage? Well, there's no exodus. No exodus, there's no Passover lamb. There's no promised land. And both of those, they point us to the big picture, so important, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of, the, uh, of, of God's people. And then you've got the promised land for which all of us who are Christians are looking toward in that day when we're dying, say, I've got a wonderful promised land to go to. All of that story is just building up. It's like a crescendo, and it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And you take that piece out, you don't have the story any longer. It's amazing how God used such a horrible thing. But the entire story of Joseph, it's an essential chapter in the bigger story. But there's a smaller story, and that's where I'm going to focus on. But keep that story in mind. This is the greater or the lesser redemptive story that we just read about. So I'm just going to make three basic statements of truth that come from our text. We learn these from our text. We see it illustrated in our text. You take these three, you ponder them. Young people, I'm going to say to you, you'll see why later. This is be the most important of subject matters for you. You got to get this. I am so thankful, as you'll hear when we close, because when we close, I'm just going to have a three-minute talk with you. When I have that talk, you're going to see, oh my goodness, the difference, the understanding of the sovereignty of God makes in a person's life. These three statements, though, you just listen. Number one, we have them here on the, on the screen. God is sovereign. Therefore, no relationship is the result of chance. They are all, hear that, all God authored. Every relationship. Hold on, hold on. I got to pass this, and I've got this with this person, and my dad, and the way we do, oh my God, the way my mother, uh uh. No. God authored. Don't you tell me God authored that kind of thing in my life. It's been the reason for the greatest pain I've ever experienced in my life. And you tell me it's God authored? 
And I don't think I want God. And when I hear that, I say, oh, oh, stop. You don't understand. And I hope today you begin to understand if you don't. Whether it be the brothers, the Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, the cupbearer, all these people, they just wronged him in such ways that put him in prison and gave him all kind of pain and agony and suffering and so forth. And so we ask the question, well, okay, is God sovereign over all that? Well, you see it in the bigger story here. We go, well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, look how what an important part it, uh, role it played. But not my situation because this is not, no, no. There's no difference. He's a child of God. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. It's all sovereign. Or, there's, or there might as well say there's, there's no God. I mean, there's not a God that can do anything. And which parts is he sovereign over? So we have to wrestle with that. Well, we've got some great help. We can go to the Westminster Confession of Faith. In my opinion, along with many others that I highly respect, I think one of the greatest and most outstanding writings to help understand the Word of God that there is, and in chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession, this is what it says, and it says it this way. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Wait, does whatsoever mean everything? Yes. It's helping us interpret the whole teaching of God's Word. Is that accurate? Well, I'd like for you to hear what one of, of the greatest theologians, in my opinion, in this last generation, now deceased, but R.C. Sproul is his name. He's written one book called uh, called Chosen by God. In my opinion, I can't imagine any book being any better to help put a spotlight of understanding on the sovereignty of God. This is what he says in this book. He says, to say that God foreordains all that comes to pass is simply to say that God is sovereign over all of his entire creation. We say, well, of course. Well, if something could come to pass apart from his sovereign permission, then that which came to pass would frustrate his sovereignty. If God refused to permit something to happen, and it happened anyway, then whatever caused it to happen would have more authority and power than God himself. If there is any part of creation outside of God's sovereignty, then God is simply not sovereign. If God is not sovereign, then God is not God. And if we reject divine sovereignty, then we must embrace atheism. Now, some of you might see that and say, oh, that's one of the, you know, if and then, and if and then, and if and then. It's like when I, was, when I was raising my little kids, I was talking to my daughter, and she asked me to do something, and I said, I said uh, no, I don't think you better do that. And it was like, you know how sometimes a daughter can be. And it gets a little emotional. And said, well, if you don't let me do that, then, and told me, and, and if that happens then, and then if that happens, and about eight later, the world's gone. I mean, it's like we're, it's all over. And you might say, well, that's that what this is. No, it's not. I'm telling you, this has absolutely, I mean, you see it. How can you deny that, 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 that? And it ends up to say, wow, we have nothing. We truly have nothing. So, at number one. God is sovereign. Hear that. God is sovereign. Therefore, no relationship is a result of chance. They're all God-authored. Hmm. Let's build on that one. Number two, 
God-authored relationships can be undesirable and painful ones, which may or may not be the result of one's own bad choices or sinful behavior. I mean, notice in our story of Joseph, the relational conflicts that he had. Take his brothers. Where did that start? Well, in big part because of some really bad, kind of dumb things that Joseph did. He shouldn't have done that with his dream, if you know anything about that. And, and he shouldn't have. What he did, you go, no, 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 that's not very smart at all. It got him into big, big, big trouble if you look at the story on its basic line. But you've got other parts of his story where, whether it be with Potiphar or whether it be with Potiphar's wife or whether it be with, with Pharaoh's, I mean, all of the, he made very, very good choices and still had these kind of problems, very intense problems that went on for years and years. So we should never think, okay, if it's a bad choice or behavior, that's outside God's sovereignty. But if it's something that's good, then we'll put that, that's inclusive. Somebody came up to me in such a good heart, and I appreciate her, her question so much. She says, you know, I've um, been reading this book, and it's on the Holocaust, and, and I'm telling you, are you telling me, are you telling me that the Holocaust was under the sovereignty of God? And all I had to say was, let's assume it's not. What else is not? And if not, where does that leave you? You see, this Christian life, folks, it's, on, it's, a, it's a Christian life of faith. Don't ever try to deny it is. It's not just proof, proof. No, it's, there's faith. We have good reason to put faith where we put our faith. But faith is the same as trust. And how do we trust in any circumstance of life our God when we have to wonder? I wonder if, I wonder if he's a part of this one. I, I, wonder if he, I wonder if he has anything to do with this one. No, 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 no. No, it doesn't matter. It may or may not be a result of our own bad choices. But I'll tell you this. Regardless, if we are Christians, we are part of a sovereign plan as all people are. But for us, hear this, all things work together for good. All things. Romans 8, 28. I mean, I fed on that verse from my high school days up when I came to faith. Oh, wow. So, it leads us to the final thought, and that is, number three, undesirable and painful relationships can produce good outcomes and always provide opportunities to honor God. Huh. Good outcomes, meaning those that we can witness. So many times, as in our text, the formation of Israel is happening here. And, and now look at the family of what we'll now call the beginning of the Israelites as a nation. Oh, my goodness. Look at the good that came out of this one little conflict with, with Joseph and his brothers. Oh, that's wonderful. It's actually good that it happened. So much that, that Joseph can say, hey, I know you boys. I know you meant it for evil. He didn't say, I know you didn't realize, you didn't mean to do it. You didn't. He said, I know you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He knew God is sovereign. He said, God meant it for good. I'll say this, I, I went through a horrible experience as I was 
uh, a student. I, I was away in New York City, and I was, you know, I had, thought I had a wonderful family. Everything seemed to be good to me. And I get a phone call from my mother. And to her surprise and to my absolute shock, I could have never have even imagined something like this happening. My mother says to me, Randy, your dad has left, and it looks like it's permanent. He left a note for you. I'm gone. I'll never see you. If you marry and have children, kiss my grandchildren for me. And that ended a relationship with my dad. Let me tell you, hard? Oh, my gosh. But, you know, I had recently been introduced to the sovereignty of God. When my mother said that, I could only say one thing. I said, Mama, I know this is horrible, and it's shaking me to the bones just hearing what you said. But you know, this is part of God's plan, and we've got to trust God to that end. Well, my mother wasn't a Christian. She later became a Christian. But where, was I just wise beyond eight? No. You know what? I had some people that wrestled with me through the hardest to understand this thing called the sovereignty of God. And I began to see its beauty. And it doesn't stop you from hurting. But oh my goodness, does it make a difference. You have to know the sovereignty of God. Well, that's the stuff we can see. We can understand it because we see the good that comes out of it. And I'll say this. I've seen good come out of that in amazing ways. I think I had a sobriety about choosing my, my spouse that maybe most didn't have because I was so, so frightened that I might pick the wrong person. My counseling. How many times? You don't understand. I've been deserted. And I had to say, I don't understand your desertion. I don't know how painful it might be that I could never experience. But I have experienced desertion. And all of a sudden, they light up and say, let's talk. I say, thank you, God. Some good's come out of that. But there's also not just good outcomes, but there's opportunities, as the heading says. There are opportunities to honor God. And I'll just say one great story. It's the story of Hosea. All right, so Hosea, you, you probably heard it's a book of the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. Well, what you might not know is Hosea was instructed by God to marry Gomer. That's reason enough right there to say things aren't good, you know. But he goes on to say, well, she is a harlot. A harlot? Are you kidding me? You want me to marry a harlot? Yep, you need to marry a harlot. And by the way, your three kids, here's their names. Translated, God scatters, not, pit, not pitied, not my people. Not good names for your kids. <laughs> Doesn't set them up for success. And verse six, 4 of chapter 6, God says, and I will forget your children. And he said, yes, Lord. And Hosea had to learn that a model family was not God's ultimate design for his life. Hosea's story foretold a bigger picture 
that the people of God throughout history would need to know. And because he just simply said, Lord, I'll honor you. I will obey, even though it's hard. Was all that hard part of a sovereign plan? Of course it was. We see it now at the back end and go, wow, how good is that? So now I conclude. And I'm just going to talk to you for a couple minutes. And I'm my best audience, my most important audience, sorry adults, is the young people that are here. I hope you hear this well. You see, I didn't always buy into this. I know some of you right now, you're frustrated, you're hearing this, and I can't believe, and I, I think this is extreme, and you can't believe that God's over all things, even bad things. I used to believe the exact same thing. I can remember weeping as a new believer when I read the text like Romans 9 that talked about the sovereignty of God over the destiny of man? No, you can't be sovereign over that. You know, my first conclusion was that throws away, self, throws away free will. No, it doesn't. Anybody who says God's sovereignty limits man's free will, no. Not at all. Well, that didn't make sense to me. Well, it didn't make sense to me, and I was frustrated, and I didn't like it, and I didn't know what to do with this new faith that where people that I respect are telling me that God's sovereign. I didn't like it. And I remember being at a conference. I'm at this conference, and a man that is speaking, one of the great professors of the Christian faith, I mean, 20 years my senior at least, and I'm telling you, a brilliant scholar, and I'm an introvert. He has talked about the sovereignty of God, and I walk up to him afterwards, and I can't help but say it. I said, I can't buy that. I do not, I, I can't buy that. And every time I have someone that comes to me and says, I can't buy it, I understand and I hurt. But I, I understand. And I said, I, I said, he said, well, why, why don't, why? I said, it doesn't make sense to me. That's why. I said, do you think it says this in the Bible? I don't know. It appears to. Well, I was coming out of an experience that I hated because when I was very young as a Christian and I was first introduced to the text of Romans 9. If you're familiar, you know what I'm talking about. And I went to my parents who didn't know the Bible at all. And I said to them, I said, hey, uh, explain this to me. They said, that's why we got a preacher. And takes me, to, said, got an appointment with a preacher. It was a liberal church, didn't believe the authority of Scripture, didn't believe whatever. And I go to the pastor and I said, help me understand this Romans 9, which talks about the sovereignty of God over the destiny of people. And I go, what is, how, does, how do you explain this? He looked at me and said, I have no idea, but I know this much. It can't, it can't mean what it says in the text. And therefore, I've ripped those pages out of my Bible. I'll never read them again. That was not good enough for me. And now this man, I stand before him and I said, tell me, I don't understand. And it makes no sense to me. I can't believe it. Oh, he takes a big chalkboard, pretend this is it. And on that chalkboard, he says, is this chalkboard finite or infinite? I said, it's finite. He said, let's let it represent the knowledge of God. Is the knowledge of God finite or infinite? I said, it's infinite. He said, so this board should go forever and ever and ever in every direction. I said, yeah, I guess so. Then on it, he draws a circle. He puts that circle on there and he says, let's let that represent the accumulative knowledge of all people of all time all in one place. That's them. I said, have I 
understated that case? He said, I said, yeah, if this thing goes forever and ever and ever. He said, you wouldn't see it. It wouldn't be a dot you could see. But I'll make it that big. And then he draws a circle in there. And he says, okay, let's let that circle represent the one person who has the most knowledge of anybody ever in the history of mankind, presumably alive today. There it is. He said, now, this is finite, right? And it's way, 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 way too big. I mean, this is a fifth of this whole circle. There's nobody has a fifth of all knowledge. And then, right inside, he draws a little dot. He puts a little dot right there. And he says, that represents your knowledge. And then he let me know that this was the biggest understatement he had made so far. <laughs> and he was right. And then he did this. He took an eraser, and he erased everything but the dot. So he erased, there's a dot left. He says, that dot is way, 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 way too big. This, this board should go forever and ever and ever. And he says, what you're telling me is that there's something that can happen out here. And he put little X's all over. There are all these things that can happen. And you can say, that doesn't make sense to me. It's in the knowledge of God, but it's, it, it doesn't fit me. Therefore, it cannot be. He said, don't ever do that. I'll give you this advice, Randy. You believe it's the word of God, then when you see something that appears to be teaching, you hold to it, study it. If it's not teaching that, you learn, but hold on to it. And he said, you will never regret holding on to any truth in the word of God that makes no sense to you. doesn't matter. You embrace it. And I can tell you now at my age, there's not one teaching of God's word. There's not one teaching that I've said, ooh, I don't like it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. That I have not come to say, thank you, Lord. And this is probably the biggest of them all. This one on the sovereignty of God. And I get emotional even talking about this. Because let me tell you, it was this teaching that caused something to happen in this heart. As old, hard, mean heart. It caused me to drop to my knees and does to this day. And I have to say, thank you, God, that you're sovereign. You want the abundant life? You'll never have it if you don't trust God. You'll never trust God if you don't understand and embrace, even without understanding, the sovereignty of God. Young people, fight, work hard, study hard. As one person told me when I was your age, you're never going to learn good theology. You're going to earn it. A lot of struggle, a lot of study but you earn it. Come to the cross of Jesus and just make sure you've fallen in love with him. Seekers, come to the cross. Meet Jesus and get to know a God who takes care of you through anything, always with you. I'm going to pray, but I've got to end the story. I forgot again. That bag, you're all going to ask me what happened to it. <laughs> good things come out of the worst of things, don't they? Well, what good came out of it? I fell more deeply in love with my wife. How's that? Because she said, Randy, I've got plans today, but you leave those here with me. I got a hairdryer. We're going to see what we can do. And she went through 300 pages with a hairdryer. And when it dried, I can still, though faint, I can see the pencil. So that was my wife, so I have to finish the story. 
you come on up. Come on up, Jay. I know we've gone long here, so you, you close her out, okay? Would you all give Randy thanks for... Before we close out, I'll just say, you know, um, sovereignty of God is, is, even as Randy has mentioned, is, is, a, is a hard topic. It's one that presses against what we typically think and how we might uh, find ourselves being uncomfortable. And uh, I would just simply say this. He's given us a lot to chew on. For some, you're hearing this for the very first time, and you're thinking, my goodness, I'm not sure that this is something I've heard before that I want to embrace and you might be tempted to think, well, it's, con it's a convenient doctrine that people can use as a crutch, but that's not the case. I have found it in my life to be uh, far from that. It is, as Randy has said, it is one of the most, if not the most comforting doctrines that the Bible gives us. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.